Welcome everybody to the first edition of the ID podcast. Um, I'm here with uh, Peter Mori and Jeremy Cantor. Um, just a little bit of an explanation. So uh, this podcast is really targeted towards compliance professionals and well professionals in the gaming industry right now. So um, what we're going to talk about is a little bit of everything, regulation, innovation and disruption, first and foremost, how the industry can be improved, what things are you know very actual right now, what's the news. Yeah, this ID podcast is brought to you by ID Now. ID Now ourselves a disruptor um, in the space, doing all things document verification. My name is Roger, working at ID Now, and essentially, you know, bringing this to you to yeah, make you know content a little bit more fun in the gaming space, as it tends to be almost always white papers or blogs. So, yeah, welcome. Uh, I've got with me today uh, two people. So, um, as I said before, so Peter Murray. Peter is a true Geordie, but living now in Spain, actually. He's got over 13 years experience in the gaming industry, worked for different, uh, you know, technology providers and is now a consultant. We've also got here um, Jeremy Cantor. And Jeremy is a um, true veteran in the gaming industry with over 15 years of experience. Great to have you here, thank and you. Uh, oh, welcome. Yep, no, thank you. Just like to point out before we start, I'm getting old, but it's not 30, quite 30 years experience yet, but I've been around a bit, absolutely. Okay, right. <laughs> okay, so, uh, I mean, I guess the first question is, and obviously everyone's asking it right now, is the regulation fit for purpose in Europe, or let's say, well, let's stay in Europe first, and then we might go over the pond. Uh, well, I'll take that one first, and I guess it's like a lot of things in our life at the moment. It's way too simplified a question to uh, to actually answer a simple yes or no. Uh, I think there's certain aspects of uh, regulation that are good, and there's certain aspects that uh, are a little bit out of sync with the way, certainly in the areas we deal in, we're around uh, data, technology, uh, and innovation. I think that's always going to be a struggle. So I guess there's no simple answer, and I guess we can then delve into various parts. Uh, but at the moment, I guess the simple answer that would be, it, it is where it is, but it needs to adapt and evolve with customer expectations and the industry in general. Uh, regulation is often a mirror of the status of the industry, but it's also always playing catch up. So regulation is a very good mirror of what the state of the industry is today and how it needs also to be improved to be through innovation and through disruption. So I think it's a very good way to enter in the topic of our discussion. Okay, so uh, I mean, I guess you, you said obviously, you know, mirrors the industry. So um, what do you think right now is um, is being uh, or is good um, and maybe things that have to be improved um, in the future when we talk about mirrors and the regulation? Well, the industry is becoming mainstream. Becoming mainstream means you become regulated, you become known, you become uh, um, under the obligation of following certain rules because you are a mass market and you are a mass adoption also from, uh, from the customer base. And so this is a good thing. This is a, a good sign. This is healthy. Uh, of course, this has some impacts like market consolidations because not everyone can not every company uh, in the industry can afford regulation regulation has a cost regulation has a moral and corporate obligation for those companies and at the end of the day there is a, a, a trend of consolidation as a, as an effect from from this so 
this is this is regulation is a healthy sign of the sta uh, state of the the industry it's also a message of the challenges to come because if we look at the main the major topics around regulation today in Europe in UK in Sweden in Spain now as well underage gaming is becoming one of the hot topic to ensure that underage population has no access to the betting to the gaming uh, activity uh, but do you think when you when we talk obviously digital that you can really stop that um, from happening um, it, like like is there going to be 100% a feature where we say we're going to stop um, underage gambling well this is regulation is here to set the guidance the direction and to set the landscape and uh, for the innovation and technology companies to go. You don't have the means, find the means, work on that. You, you don't have the technology today to do it, fair enough, do it manually. Yeah. And then that will accelerate the process of innovation. I, I agree. I think the point, the exact question is, will you stop it 100%? The answer is simply no. There's never going to be, there never will be a silver bullet. Um, but that's the goal we set ourselves and we should set ourselves. I think the challenge around regulation is that it evolves and ebbs and flows with the industry in general. So I think Jeremy's point absolutely right. If we'd gone back a few years, it might have been fraud. We come to where we are now. It's, it's around uh, harm minimization. And for me, that's all wrapped up in KYC, a, a true picture of knowing your customer. But it just moves with the issues that go with the with the industry. And at the moment, the nature of the industry we're in, the toxicity around uh, the product that we're providing, uh, the quite rightly, that focus comes around uh, putting that customer at the front and centre of your operation, whether you're, you're a supplier, an operator, a platform, uh, and harm minimisation. So protecting miners and just making sure we're doing everything we can to A, try and pick up flags and, and monitors of, of harm uh, and then protect customers in there. So I think regulation just moves. And that's the challenge, I think, if you work within a regulator, uh, is you've come in and you might be concentrating on one thing. How do you know and how have you understood the challenges that come with the sector? You know, are, are we suggesting that a regulator in any jurisdiction suddenly is an expert on harm minimization or was on fraud or is on AI? So uh, look, I'm, I'm not particularly sticking up for the regulators at this point, but they have a difficult challenge. Uh, they need to adapt like the industry does for those challenges that come with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and also, I guess, um, another point is um, the regulators have a very hard job because essentially there is regulations or different regulations, sometimes even within countries, right? So you have an example in Germany, that's totally crazy. You have uh, different regulations within the country itself. And then obviously, um, um, I guess, you know, coming back to the point that, um, that you said, Jeremy, with um, regulation, you know, being affordable, um, I guess sometimes, you know, companies, you know, struggle sometimes with that because you see, okay, uh, you know, the UK has a different regulation to, an example, Netherlands or Netherlands is different to Sweden and is different to Spain. So um, do you think maybe um, the regulators would have to, at some point in the future, you know, come together really as a, um, I know it would be very hard to do, but, you know, come together as a consortium maybe um, and, and really set those standards very, very high for everyone? This is, this is a very political question, and actually Germany is a very good example because regulation is 
not only the mirror actually of the state of the industry, is also the mirror of the state of the political forces and the political will that is in place. So your question refers to a lot of the political will in the European Union. But before that, if we take the example of Germany and we look at why is this uh, lock, this, this blockade in, in Germany, this conflict between different jurisdictions, the Schleswig-Holstein uh, um, jurisdiction and, and regulation framework, the, the federal, hopefully, maybe for certain people, uh, regulation framework, why are those things so messy, so conflicting? First and foremost, it is a, po a matter of political will. It's a matter that there are, I don't know how many lenders uh, in Germany? Uh, 16. 16, meaning 16 different local government with local team of regulating and IT people for the local lottery and talking about one federal regulation means putting 16 or 15 government teams to unemployment. This is something that is absolutely not wished by the country. It's wished by the industry. How do we help them deal with that? How do we bring the reality of the industrial relationship and the industrial ecosystem in the gaming world with the means of technology from today, with the server-based uh, activities that can be based in the other places of the European Union? And Germany is facing a lot of dilemma. dilemma. I'm French and questions around how to deal with Maltese-regulated operators, how to deal with Schleswig-Holstein being one local uh, German uh, uh, regulation, and how to deal with innovation allowing the control of the, those activities, allowing the blocking maybe of those activities. Today, innovation allows them only to block payments. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I would just add, I think uh, it, it's about politics and money. You know, I've spent a lot of time as the US have been regulating the last three or four years, uh, and that mirrors very much what you're seeing in, in Germany. But if we go back 10 years where it was .com, and, and a lot of operators uprooted and went to whether it be uh, Gibraltar or Isle of Man to be tax efficient, um, and that's gradually over that time it's become dot country. So whether that's dot code, dot uk, dot it, dot de, whatever that might be, and that's the same in the US. So the US is regulating because it wants the tax dollar that goes with that. So the the, the start of the question, which is should they be more aligned, is absolutely they should be more aligned. Are they going to do it? Absolutely not. There's no political will at this point. Even though within the European Commission, there's conversations, there's lobby groups, etc., that are trying to push that around at things like identity. But I think the chances, even though, again, technically they're all governed by the money laundering directives, uh, the chances of Germany aligning with Denmark, aligning with the UK are very slim. And then within Germany, you've got the, the different territories that go with it. That So the, in, uh, the interesting point you made there was the industry wants it, but does the country want it? Well, it, I think uh, an interesting connection to the origin question that you had is regulation fit for purpose. Regulation is definitely fit for purpose today in the, the aspect that it is trying 
to ensure a fairer aspect of the industry, a fairer access to the industry, to uh, the consumers. And they are protecting the consumers from harm, but also they are encouraging fairness for the consumer. And this adds to the, the, the question that, yes, the industry wants it. Yes, the consumer needs this, uh, this alignment. Are the countries remembering that this is the principle behind regulation? Well, I think in interesting that, that the other C word outside of collaboration is consumer. And what does the consumer want? Because I doubt very much that a German consumer just wants to be labelled in Germany or a British one can't do this forever. And I think back to my politics and uh, money statement, the industry is a global industry. Yeah? So if you're an operator, you've got real challenges around the various different regulations that are in place and that are coming, but your customer's pretty global and they're going to be traveling around the world and, and they want less friction, not more, which again, one of the biggest challenges for a regulator is going to be, you know, that challenge between AML regulation and GDPR. One wants more data, one wants less, and a regulator's got to, to, to try and pull that all together and make sense of it in one country and then in another country. But at the end, they want a fairer price and they want the same good odds on their sports betting activities that they could get Absolutely. in UK until it's part of the EU. And we're not talking about Don't Brexit Don't mention the today. B word. No B word. <laughs> Breakfast. They want the same odds that are being, uh, uh, that are being configured from the same servers where they are accessing their betting site, but just because of local obstacles. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think the interesting thing, if you take, say, the Dutch and the Germans that are coming to it, they, it's almost like they're trying to reinvent the wheel. So whether it be identity or product or where your servers are, th there seems to be very little collaboration. You should be able to pick up a, a template now for a general discussion around bringing gambling into your jurisdiction and, and tweak it a little bit. You know, whether you regard Denmark as good and, and France as bad, uh, the fact is there's, there's good signposts to good regulation. But it's almost like they want to seem to start again to impose their own version of whatever that is. Uh, and that's just, it, it elongates the process. It makes it more complicated for everybody. That's every stakeholder in the industry. And I think that's one of the challenges that if they're not talking together and collaborating, it's just regulation takes longer. Players are less protected. Tax revenue is going to the, the grey market or the black market. So, but we could talk about this all day. I, I guess the challenge is how you get them to do that in such a politicalized environment, which is I'm from one jurisdiction, I want to do it my way. I mean, I guess, um, uh, and at this stage, I mean, uh, obviously, you know, people talk always you know, very critically of regulators, but you have to say that an example, you know, the UKGC or an example, the MGA, I think they do a fantastic work trying to make it um, fair to everybody, not only the consumer, also the operators. Um, and I think when we talk, an example, about Germany, uh, which is obviously a very hot topic now with all the changes coming in next year um, in February, um, that, you know, there's going to be even more friction with a uh, video identification, yeah. which if you think about it, you're going um, away from, let's say, a simple, you know, document check and you have to um, be on your phone and do a FaceTime call. Um, with someone who's going to, um, you know, prove yeah. your age, identity and whatsoever. So 
Um, um, I guess, and obviously, you know, coming back to that. W- well, can, I, can I just pick yeah. up on that? Because I think that's a really interesting point on probably for me, the most important subject in town, which is KYC. Yeah. Uh, and the challenges of what, what I would consider, say, the UK relying on something that's been going for 10 years and hasn't adapted. So if the German market is coming with the starting point of using the data and the technology that's in there, facial recognition, biometrics, documents, all the stuff that banks, even banks that should be slow and cumbersome are starting to go down that route, then that's really interesting because you get other jurisdictions where they're a little bit nervous and wary of the new technology. They would rather... Uh, rely and go almost backwards to a system that says, I've got to find you on a CRA database. And now for me personally, that's a system I see disappearing in the next, that that way and commercial model and everything else. But it's interesting that they're starting to go, right, well, let's use that technology that's already there. And for me, that's a good thing, but I don't know how that then resonates across the rest of the industry. And certainly if you're an operator trying to pull all these parts together, then they're sat there going, well, it's costly. It's complex. There's a le- lack of guidance on it. But at least I guess in that scenario, it's a it's starting with the technology that's already out there. And and this is where the European Union regulation uh, and and set of rules and laws can be helpful because you have s- so striking opposite situations in different countries. Take the bank ID in Sweden, uh, uh, central system of uh, identification through the banks and in France for example the the how do you say the the absence of uh, identification uh, through the central uh, the central yeah no sen- actually no right to centralize the information because the CNIL the French uh, Center for National uh, Information and uh, Liberties do not allow cross-sharing of data and cross-sharing of uh, information between systems. That's uh, even yeah. more uh, than GDPR. I think that's that, that uh, absolutely one of the critical points of this. And if you look at the challenges around the UK GAMSTOP program, it's all around identity. But we're in a country in the UK here that has consistently refused centralized ID cards, You know, which is something... The, the, the populace doesn't want. Well, that creates a real challenge for people around identifying and understanding. So some of the negative publicity around the GAMSTOP was all around, you know, the ability to change details and the ability for verification. So the, the regulator is trying to do the right thing. The uh, provider of the services and the processes are right, but the challenge is there just isn't that centralized database. So you're absolutely right on the, the Scandinavian aspect, which is the banks are the trusted entity and you can go to that and verify that it is Peter Murray and you're in and you're off. And that, that for me is one of those stepping stones and we might talk around identity later. Um, but that, that's the point is it, everyone's different. Every country are happy to give their information to the government. So here in the UK, we don't want that. It might be that the biggest supermarket has more data on me than, than the government. But, you know, giving it to the government, maybe not. If you're, you know, whether it's Sweden or nowhere, you're quite happy going, there you go, there's there's my identity. It's I, I trust the government or the bank or whatever that trusted entity is, that'll allow me to, to go and open accounts and get stuff delivered. Yeah, I think the whole, uh, I guess the whole data thing, especially around governments, I think it's it sits a little bit wrong with people when the government owns all the data. But essentially... It, well, I mean, the data is with all the, you know, if it's with a UK supermarket or if it's with a, um, a you know, UK, you know, fitness club or whatever, you know, they, you know, as you said. This, you, this is where you know. we are t- touching a very sensitive area because you're talking about data owned 
and, and processed by the government and by gambling companies. I mean, it's you're adding yes, the cherry on top of the cake. It's around trust, isn't it? We're entering into an area of trust and sustainability in many, many ways. So that absolutely good point is it, 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 so OpenID was launched, the ability to get into your bank account. Would you give that to a gambling company? For the majority of people, the answer is probably not. Yeah, and you might for something else you considered trustworthy. So the industry has an issue around. I think you mentioned the word toxicity. Absolutely, we've got a perception problem out there. Some of it's completely our own fault. Some of it isn't. But that bit of that identity and, and understanding who I am, uh, you, would I give that all to a gambling company? Then we have our issues trying to, to, to centralize what that is, I think. I mean, I think... You know, you see some of the, you know, examples that you see throughout the world that, you know, you can essentially choose what data you're going to share with people. Um, an example in form of uh, there is some data encrypted within the national ID. Um, and um, obviously going forward, I think, uh, you know, essentially if, if we would, uh, and I'm going to put this out there, um, what would, uh, let's say, people do if there would be, let's say, like a, like a blockchain, right? So everyone... Every you as a person, you have verified data that is on your profile. And then when it comes to that, you log into it and you share you know, data that you want with, an example, a company. Uh, not necessarily like a gambling provider, but, uh, but would that be something that would go into the right direction where essentially the people take control of their data um, and then really start sharing it? Would, would that take away friction in the future? Um, and obviously, uh, again, blockchain is such a huge... Um, it's such a huge, uh, you know, kind of topic. We could talk about hours, but uh, you know, do you think that could be one kind of solution where where it could go? If if you put yourself in the position of the consumer itself, it's actually very schizophrenic because on one hand, the consumer doesn't trust necessarily each and every type of organization. Maybe not the government, especially not uh, the gambling, and and sometimes not uh, innovative technologies or uh, protocols uh, like uh, blockchain. And this is what leads to um, strengthening the, the trust into the legacy uh, stakeholders, into the legacy organizations. I don't know, the land-based casinos, yeah. the lottery shops and, uh, or the pub or whatever that would be able to identify you physically and you're there and you're not giving your uh, identity to some technology. That, But on the other hand, the consumer today is extremely used and comfortable giving all of its information to Apple, Google, Facebook or whatever market uh, uh, place, sorry for naming uh, companies. Uh, and, and this is what I call the schizophrenia between... We don't trust technology and uh, the, the usual suspects of government and, uh, and uh, the casinos, yeah. but we do trust that company that powers our telephone. Whether we should or not. Absolutely. I think the interesting thing is you've, you've hit on a point that I think in a couple of years' time will look very different. I absolutely believe that power of identity is moving away from... Uh, the commercial organizations and it will eventually end up with the individual where you are verified once use many so a bit like the .govverify um, process here in the the uk now which hasn't worked out well 
but that principle of getting yourself verified to a say a government level and then choosing what information you go out there. It's so like if, an e-passport almost. Uh, absolutely. So if I want to order my shopping from supermarket A, I release a certain amount of data. None of it is is, is private information they can get. It, it all says that's enough data that Peter Murray can buy shopping. You then do the same whether you want to hire a car and you want to you do the same whether you're, you're getting a mortgage, opening a bank account, or in our instance, gambling. And you will set that. The challenge for the industry is how we then integrate that in because there's lots of stuff to do. But I firmly believe that's where we'll end up because that's what the consumer will want. The power for us to operate our daily lives sits within our smartphone. And so can from that, we release certain aspects that says, that's enough, I'll have my shopping delivered, or you know what, I'm going on to uh, to gambling company here because I want to open an account. So do we exclude the minority of players that wish to remain anonymous? Uh, well, there's, you know what, I think, <laughs> but that's like talking about uh, crypto and everything. The, the anonymity is the problem. So there'll always be a question that if you want to remain, remain anonymous, why would you want to do that? And everything I can see in regulations is that that's the bit they won't step over that. How do you, it, you will have verified, in my scenario, you will have verified enough that you are Peter Murray, you know, you are that person that says, and then you use that for various things. The opening up of a new identity, a new account, whatever it may be, that's going to have its challenges if you want to rename, 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 remain anonymous. But if you've opened that account, you just have to release the fact that I am over 18, over 21 in the US, and I'm verified to open up a gambling account. So I think anonymity is a, a, a real challenge for anybody, and you just take the examples of, of, of cryptocurrencies as well with that. Um, I think, again, I think within this kind of topic uh, and with anything else, I, I don't think there is a one-fits-all solution. Um, I think it will always be a hybrid between manual and technology because um, essentially, at the end of the day, uh, some things, they have to be done by a human um, that has to do maybe a second check. Um, and, and obviously, going forward, that will be the same. So, which, which, which I guess brings us to... Uh, one step further, which is the which is the technology that obviously plays a huge part in supporting that regulation and making uh, lives easier for operators. Um, so, um, I mean, obviously, we're in a time now where you probably find there is about 300, 400 uh, different technology um, providers that obviously um, are selling a solution that you know might want to help. Um, or might help um, essentially the operator. Um, I mean, what do you think um, in terms of the the technology providers? Um, do you think they are doing enough to to ensure that it's going into the right direction? Um, do you think they are actively, you know, trying to to help with the regulation, or do you think it's still a little bit almost too commercial and this kind of part of education is not there yet? We cannot blame it for being too commercial. It is too commercial, but it's fair game. Um, what it is not enough, basically, is putting itself in the shoes of the industry and, and deeper into the consumer journey, because this is what it is uh, all about. It's the consumer journey and the flags that are raised along its journey to identify either harm, potential, or even marketing opportunities. And the technology, the technology companies that are today on the market are each and every one extremely good at their own expertise. They are not as good as 
showing how they are inserting themselves within this supply chain, I would say, within the concrete experience of, uh, of the journey. Some are very good, they are being the black box that will compute, compile the information. Some are ve very good at uh, some insights and decision-making on some precise topic. And the industry, neither the regulator, uh, didn't yet identify that holistic mapping of roles and responsibilities along the consumer journey. How to protect and how to improve the life of the consumer in the gaming industry. I, I agree with that. I think um, if you look at the, the biggest topic here in the UK at the moment, which is harm minimization and player protection, it's okay for the regulators they did to charge the industry with using better data and better technology, you know, and raise the bar for harm minimizing. But what does that mean? And if you're an operator, you don't know. So over the last six to 12 months, we've seen an absolute arms race from the suppliers out there to try and find a solution. Well, simply there isn't one, but some people will go further down that line than others. Um, but there isn't an answer. So if you're an operator and you're going, well, I've got my data and I've got the data from the suppliers and the, net, uh, the, the vendors that are out there, nobody knows what the answer is. So there is no, I think the valid point is there's no one single thing that's ever going to do that. I guess you're never going to expect the 300 odd suppliers to, to you know, it's a commercial entity, they want to make money. But somehow we've got to create a shared environment, whether that's uh, led by a self-exclusion conversation or whether it's, harm minimization is great. So we had about six months ago, four or five uh, big operators launch their own version of player protections. Yeah, all great all done with the best of intentions, none of them linked up. Yeah. How does that help? What might be right for company A and revenue stream A uh, might be very different from company B and revenue stream B. So somehow we've got to encourage an environment that if you were in financial services or you were in insurance, you're used to sharing data. Yeah? And don't let's use GDPR as a, as a sort of excuse for doing that. This is for the best of the industry. So who leads that conversation I think falls under regulators to challenge it and create that environment where they can do it, and operators to to corral their supplier base and see see how they can do do that. But I, I think at the central core of it is data sharing and, and how we collaborate at, at, at every level. And 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 this is um, reflecting on the lack of cooperation or. or uh, between the industry stakeholders, not just the technology providers on how they insert themselves within this game and the ecosystem, because the industry stakeholders take the operators or the platform providers or both when they are doing uh, playing the same roles at the two roles at the same time, still didn't decide on whether to do things in-house or to outsource it to make it more complicated. So today you have the regulator that doesn't have a clear uh, understanding on how important it is to grasp this role of mediator, basically of the ecosystem, and not just uh, uh, setting the rules and uh, giving the guidances. You have the stakeholders of the industry, the core stakeholders, operators, platform providers, etc., that are still hesitating between in-house, outsourced, 
full platform, we can do everything by ourselves, and we might need a little bit of integration with some third-party providers. And you have the third-party providers that are also, some of them, dreaming of taking the role and space of everyone uh, yeah. that we cited just before. Yeah. So it is still a mess and, and showing the, the, the lack of maturity of the industry compared to the fintech or the, the finance industry more. I think, oh, and I think that the phrase used there was, the, can the regulator be the mediator uh, of, uh, of the sector? It's never going to be, or it's very unlikely to be, the suppliers that are, because they're after a commercial edge. And that's also the challenge I'd put on the operators. You know, is safer gambling or uh, uh, a really great system to protect the customer a competitive edge? Well, that some might think it is, but it shouldn't be. This has to be the sustainability of the sector, bearing in mind all the challenges we've got. If this key issue could be something at least we pull together on. And I'm definitely seeing signs of it. There's definitely conversation. Yes, it's driven by big fines and eye-watering amounts of money that are being but we're starting to see things around that. And I think whether it's a, an event, that's where I had one in, I think it was in Malta last week, or the upcoming ones. But is that regulator? Who's going to pull that? Who's going to you know, make sure that the industry does this stuff? I don't know the answer. That probably is the regulator. Um, but somebody's got to do it. And industry bodies. And uh, mm -hmm. industry trade bodies and uh, uh, voluntarily organizing themselves into tackling and progressing, yeah. this is something that is being uh, uh, progressing and evolving in the industry. And I think it, it does give hold. Uh, the, the I think with any self-regulation work, which is a, a sort of separate topic, and, and uh, you know we can only do so much. I think the challenge around self-regulation in our sector is just the perception of the industry out there. I don't think anybody's going to either thank us or credit us for, uh, for, for doing anything positive but that's not a reason not to do it. So the, cynicis the cynicism and, and, uh, and comments that are out there around, well, they would say that, wouldn't they? Um, I think we, some, we've got to be on much more of our front foot, bring positivity to the sector because we're not going to get any credit regardless. So let's A, do the right thing, work out what it is. So it's got to be more evidence-based than what we have at the moment. Uh, but take that uh, and get some positive. And I don't just think it's uh, when the fun stops, stop. That kind of, it's got to be much deeper than that. Um, and the industry pulling together. So for me, that area of collaboration on let's get a, a, an understanding of what the problem and the solutions are and then take that message out there uh, is, is just the only way forward. And so there is actually um, an interesting question that we got before the podcast. And, and the question reads, um, do the regulators have enough understanding of the gaming business? How dangerous is it for us to have regulators with no experience in gambling setting the rules? Do we see countries with regulators that have experience? Uh, are these are these valid questions? Okay. Well, sound a valid question to me. I think um, do we regulate? We what are regulators? As a general rule, uh, they're either public servants or government bodies. Yeah. So can we really expect them to understand whether it be the technology? They should definitely understand the industry. And the challenge, if you're a big regulator with a high turnover of staff, no names, no pack drill, uh, then that's always going to be a challenge. Yeah. But you know they. It, is it, a, is it a worry? Absolutely, it's a worry if they don't understand the sector. And I've worked in some that didn't understand the internet, never mind uh, the sector. Um, let's just say it wasn't EU. Um, but the fact is, it, you want your regulator to do, but we have to be, in my opinion, aware of the, the limitations that's always going to bring with it. So back to my get on the front foot, 
go and demonstrate. I spend a lot of time with regulators demonstrating some of the technology that's out there. You know what? They didn't understand it, but maybe they shouldn't have been expected to. We've got to be positive on that front and go and demonstrate and that there's something they've got to regulate. Um, but but I think, you know, then again, when you say that, you know, the regulators, they, they don't get the technology. Um, but if they don't get the technology, so how how does it work in order to make it an efficient way for the whole industry to to essentially, you know, be available, be protective of the customers, um, and and to make it work really. I mean, what, what, it, I think, I, 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 if you don't mind, uh, Peter, I think there is one advantage at least that we can say, in maybe not the not understanding the technology, but let's say more not being. Uh, proactively focused on the technology is that the regulator becomes then focused on the principles, regardless of the means. And this is also a good thing because that opens the door for competition and innovation in the technology sector to provide a solution that will respond to the requirement uh, 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 designed by this principle. And this is good. Uh, but this is also what makes the debate between uh, principle-based regulation in places like UK or uh, regulations with strict guidances and requirements in places like uh, France uh, or... Prescriptive. Exactly. Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, mm, French. <laughs> <laughs> Your French is so much better than my English. Uh, Très bien. <laughs> I mean, talking, uh, so talking obviously about the regulation, about the regulators, um, and obviously where the whole industry is going. So uh, do you think a, a KYC, as we know, is dead? So my view is it's not no longer fit for purpose. I mean, you asked that about regulators earlier. But that's only, I don't know about your opinion on this, Jerry, but where we are now and what we're using is, is definitely not fit for purpose. That old school, I found you on a CRA database, that's enough to get us up and running. Not just when both technology and data has moved on and more importantly, the consumer has moved on, that level of friction of having to put this all in and then hoping it hits a database. Now, that, that probably, you know, we mentioned with Germany is if they're going to, uh, take their regulation and involve new technology, that's fine. But as we stand, something we, it cannot be right that something we've used 10 years ago is is the basis of an industry that's, that's you know, it's moved on light years and speed and agility and everything else. So uh, for me, certainly here in the UK, I, I definitely don't think it's fit for purpose. And, and the role of KYC has changed also with the evolution of the industry because it used to be a, a tool to prevent or to minimize fraud activities. Today, it is part of the DNA of how you run your business. And being part of the DNA means that this is not even uh, an expense. This becomes a mandatory parameter, a mandatory requirement that needs to be fully and, and uh, in an optimal way integrated within your business model and with your business operation. And this is something that has not been understood or accepted fully by a, a majority still of the stakeholders in this industry. And they are missing out because KYC becomes a burden, a cost, when it should be a, an enabler of the sustainable success and for, for their growth. 
I think I, if we go back a few years, it was all about onboarding. You didn't care how you did it as long as they ticked that box from a compliance point of view because that's all you had to do. But this, you've got to remember, this is the most important asset uh, a business has, their customer. And if all you knew is that it was it was one person, but you don't know what they like, when they like it, who they like to do it with, that's where the real value, and, and yes, there's always going to be a cost around knowing your customer, but the, the positivity around truly knowing who that customer is affects everybody. You know, your ability to engage uh, and and deal with a, a customer on a sort of different... The experience you get, and it's interesting seeing some of the roles that are emerging around the industry, you know, customer experience, that sort of customer journey type role, is being brought in from elsewhere for people who've been challenged around uh, what that customer journey is like. And for me, that's the, the there's a real positivity that the industry is slowly coming around instead of being a cost and a burden, which it, it, it is at this point, to what's the positive, well, the, the positive message is I understand you and I can deal with you. So we can look at that from a self, uh, a harm minimization point of view, but we could also look at it from a real positivity about being able to get, engage in real time uh, with a bespoke message. And, and KYC has always been about doing your your business right knowing your customer was how things were being done in the past maybe with less effective ways of implementation but you it was about trust it was about relationship between the merchant the operator whoever whatever commerce uh, and its customer and this has been lost through the 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 needs of KYC as a mandatory requirement from regulation, and then the confusion around we forgot what is KYC is and how we do it. That's how that's how casinos were doing their business. They knew who were their customers. They were bringing them from their house, and uh, so maybe sometimes, of course, there were uh, abuse around it. There were also some holes in the knowledge of the customer and there was some uh, criminal activities that were uh, allowed even unwilling, unwillingly by the by the operator but today they need to go back at the basics of the principles of know your customer and i think it- It's an interesting, we haven't brought in the land-based side uh, yet, but if you go back four or five years, knowing your customers, I knew your name, your address, you're over 18, I had your email and your phone number. And that's completely out the window now. Now, because from their business models is they need to be able to engage better with them. And there's so much more data, there's so much more technology. The challenge is nobody knows how to see the wood from the trees at this point. What does each one mean? And we do tend to concentrate on the negative aspects of... uh, player protection but the positivity side of it is there's just so much more out there what do we do what do we do about it so how do we replicate that physical process of meeting someone in a casino and yes there's some challenges around that so with in the online world uh, because don't get me wrong the, the offline world has it the challenges that I when I originally did some work in the states was somebody would walk in with a bag of money and a driver's license and that was fine I knew my customer because I walked in. It didn't matter whether the driving license was I can physically see them and he's got cash. Yeah, so just to add in here, um, and do you sometimes think that regulation is sometimes a lot a lot more harsher on the online world than it is on the offline world? Uh, for my, it certainly seems it. Some of those conversations I was mentioned four or five years ago in the States were, you know, taking that bag of money and you just hand it over. In an online world, you've probably got a damn good idea of where it's come from, where it's going. You, you know, fraud is still a big issue, 
but there's more touch points uh, and, and more areas you can see who that person is and what they're doing. So it certainly feels like it. And, and, and I think as those two worlds converge and the regulation around them converge, then we need that to be the same for all of them, despite the fact they're different revenue streams. I, I don't think that it would be harsher. It's just that sometimes it's, it seems very disconnected from the potential that online uh, can bring into protection uh, of the consumer. And uh, it looks rather at the side of, okay, how to uniform and uh, uh, one size fits all in a regulatory model for land base and uh, online regardless. And when it could apply a, a different approach that would even be harsher, maybe or stricter, not harsh, but stricter, but by uh, making the most out of the technology and out of the potential from the online. And that sounds, when I say it, like some speech about selling the, the good side of the internet 15 years ago, and we are still talking about that. <laughs> yeah, regulation moves <laughs> quickly. Today in 2019. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, you know, we still, we still assume to this day 99% of the people in the world, they're good people. They don't want to do any um, any fraudulent things. And that obviously my, my plan and obviously some of the strategies that some of the companies have essentially the smaller ones, the up and coming ones that, you know, they just assume, oh, we only on board, you know, really great people that never done anything bad in their lives before, which uh, might sometimes be right. So, you know, talking about those people, I mean, what do you think does self-exclusion play nowadays in KYC? Um, how, how do we bring this in effectively? Um, is it working right now? Um, and what do we have to do to make it work even better? For me, I guess that goes back to where your jurisdiction is. I think that if we just take, I don't know, take here and, and, and Denmark, Rofus and Gamstop, the challenge they had here, um, through, I guess through nobody's fault, is that it's just, it was around understanding who that was and the technology and the fact that we've had 20 years of this industry and everybody's disparate and the way they take your data is all different in every... So you could have the best system in the world, which, don't get me wrong, it's got its challenges, but then everybody else collects and uses data in a different way. Um, then there's no centralised ID around it. So the UK's got real challenges on doing that. It's done absolutely with the right intention. Uh, but there's also a disconnect in whether the regulator's signing it off. And, and uh, so, that, so that's one. You then look at Denmark, which uh, you've got centralised ID. You've got a really strong way of doing that. It's a smaller market. It's, it, was, it was brought in at the same time. So Holland's also bringing theirs in at the same time as Rarig. So they're starting from a better place. But it is an overall... Uh, Part of the, the it's a part of the toolbox for somebody wanting. We have to accept, and we do accept uh, that you know certain aspects of the industry we work in produces harm. So how do we best protect the players? And that for me is just one part of it. Um, but it can be it can be done always be done better. And everybody everybody has a, a part to play in that. Whether you're an operator, a regulator, or a supplier. I, I think that the only uh, uh, future way for self-exclusion schemes is through technology and innovation. Because today, putting aside even the problem of lack of data sharing, even if there is data sharing, data is relying today on written and textual information. And 
I can be Jeremy, I can be Jerry, I can be, it depends on the mood of the day. Sometimes I don't, follow, I don't remember how I registered uh, on uh, one site and what I wrote. Maybe one day I, I made a, a typo and uh, I would never put a Y at the end of my name. I'm IE, but still, I don't know, I might have yeah, typed something wrongly. Email, yeah. And no system, even of that data sharing, would be available, able to pick up those differences. But when you think about technology, visual identification, video identification, photo identification, biometric identification, in addition to all those things, then maybe we are going beyond that very old textual and uh, outdated way of identifying people. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. If you look at here in the UK where they're trialing some facial recognition in some of the retail shops out there because their self-exclusion version is obviously and understandably riddled with holes because it relies on people to do that. And I'm, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying technology is 100% the answer, but it's got to be sort of 80 90% the answer, whereby you can use that identity. So if I want to go from one gambling retail outlet to another, they're not going to know who I am. It's one of the big challenges here. So... Uh, so the ability to tie that in with all the other tools that are out there to understand that it's this person going in it is the answer, and that's pulling it all together. But that technology needs to move. I know the casino industry trialed it several times over the last... The bank industry with the voice recognition for uh, accessing the apps and the transactions, yeah. they are trialing it. Uh, yeah. yeah, but I'm going to say, but I'm going to say on that, um, I see... Um, I see biometric voice recognition very, very critical, um, simply because you you see those deep fakes and 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 this is no joke. This is like really some serious stuff um, that has been created and it's just computer created. It's created within half an hour. Mm -hmm. um, so so for me, I I do see the biometric part really, really. A critical at the moment online, in, especially in a, online. In a negative way or a positive in, way? In a negative okay. way. Um, right. Because I think, um, especially, uh, so, so uh, I mean, the way I would ex um, explain it, so uh, do you want, um, so let's say, do you want fraudsters attacking you who spend um, 20 pounds on their kit or do you want fraudsters who spend over 2,000 pounds? So, and you have to see in relation, okay, there is maybe, you know, 100 million of fraudsters that might just go on a on, on, on a dark web and purchase an, an, an ID or maybe like some of deep fake um, um, software for uh, for 20 pounds. But if you have the right technology in place, you, you, you go into other levels and obviously, you know, don't get me wrong, there'll always be fraudsters, there's always people who are more clever than anyone else and and just get ways around it. But I think with with kind of that technology, I think it's too early to really, you know, bring it in effectively. I think we have to work with layers of technology uh, to make it, uh, again, uh, I mean, obviously but, it has to you, be you affordable. See, you, you are in a perfect position to be uh, a good client of a, a principle-based regulation because the regulation will tell you here, Actually, you are absolutely right. Your concerns are absolutely correct and existing and, and, and real. And we let you work on finding the right combinations of parameters, of elements, of visual, biometric, or artificial intelligence and questions and things like that that will be a sort of unique identifier of a person. And whatever way you find and whatever secured way you find to do it, 
and that you are capable to prove us that this is a unique identification system valid for signing up and signing in uh, systems, but also to self-exclude and create those uh, self-excluded databases, then we are happy. And this is exactly how I would see the, the role of uh, regulation uh, enabling the, this innovation in technology. You take the PSD2 uh, uh, regulation in, in finance and the objectives around open banking is to enable and strengthen innovation. I'm not saying that everything that I see is looking very <laughs> progressive uh, behind open banking, but the intention is the right one. Then the regulator should be able to identify the good intentions and the commercial uh, shortcuts that some companies would like to take. Okay, so um, here's also a question that uh, that we got before the podcast, and it's a, it's a very good question. So is self-regulating ever going to work? I would start by self-regulating has worked before regulation was put in place in some very uh, in, in in some very specific areas. But look at the chargebacks uh, fifteen years ago. Fifteen years ago, most of the transactions were done by uh, credit or debit cards, uh, and operators in the gambling industry were hugely affected by chargebacks. And the problem was not really to have to lose that money. The problem was that if you are not capable to secure your transactions, well, Visa and MasterCard will decide that you're not a proper company to do business with. And after 1% of dirty transactions, they will close your merchant account and uh, your activity basically with them. And for 1% of bad transactions, you will lose 80% of your business. What did the industry do? They self-regulated. Of course, it was for their own interest of not losing 80% of their business because of 1% yeah, so of dirty, yeah. but that's also, that's always self-interested, but it is a start, it is a starting point, and it is self-regulation and it's working. This needs to be enabled, this needs to be uh, helped by the regulators to go further. But when 10 years ago I was presenting to the French Senate, those I had exactly that question and I answered exactly the same uh, response. They, they were not accepting that the online gambling industry would be even able to try and protect themselves against uh, uh, rogue transactions. But I think this is very interesting because when Jeremy says he was talking around the exact same questions that I'm asking him now 10 years ago, um, ne next question is, uh, how do we enable operators to move on and and, uh, and innovate and, and, and disrupt in a way where essentially, I mean, uh, you know, best example is, and, and I'm just going to drop a name here, is, um, is a company called Bitpanda and they're based in Austria. They're essentially, uh, you know, a crypto, um, um, a crypto business. And um, it, um, obviously, as you know, like crypto itself isn't regulated by any means uh, right now. They don't have to do anything. But what Bitpanda have done is they essentially done everything what an example a bank would do. So they self-regulated themselves. Um, but because they were enabled by the Austrian government to do so. Um, so so um, 
so how do we help operators to 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 do that and move on and uh, and innovate? So I guess two parts, just uh, the initial self self um, regulation thing. I think the answer simple in, in gambling for self regulation is no, we can't self regulate, and that's maybe not well. It's prob it's the toxicity and the perception is my now that doesn't mean we shouldn't do it, but if we just take advertising. Where was the restraint around advertising? Where was the self-control that said, you know what, this is coming. There wasn't, there was just this rush to get as much out of there as possible and shout as loud as possible, so tone and content. And where did you think we were going to end up? We were going to end up exactly in the mess but we're in now. now. the initiatives came from the but industry. Only because it was, for, they After knew what was coming. You knew they were, they knew those were coming. The answer is yes, we should do it. And we should do it better than we've done it before. But we would do it in one part like where the fun stops up. Absolutely nothing with regards to the advertising, and you know we can bring no, in the shirts. Whistle to whistle ban again. The major companies decided to, and that's to great. Apply. Yep, it's to a certain extent. But again, I think it was just a little too late. So, yourself, look, self regulation is a strong part of what we do. I just think it's also more complicated in what we do just by the perception of the industry we're in. And back to my earlier comment, is just we're regarded very cynically. So, should the regulator, as a mediator, ask for evidence of industry-wide self-regulation without giving the maybe the, the prescriptive uh, uh, way to do it is gamstop a way uh, to describe this is it a it's a it's a prescriptive requirement from the UKGC but not as gamstop it can be any other company that offers the model and it's supposed to be the cooperation between uh, the the industry stakeholders. Wh which direction should we ask for? Okay, so I think it, for self, there's two parts. I guess the self regulation bit. Uh, the answer is I don't think we can expect everything from the regulator. And yes, we have to moderate what we're doing or at least think of the consequences of what we're doing. So it's a two-part thing. The regulator, by nature of who they are and what they do, uh, are never going to provide all the answers. Us as an industry uh, tend to come to things too late and only under pressure for doing it. So I guess you're back to that problem is, is how do you get that? I certainly see value in the regulator being the moderator. But again, the question is, is that regulator any good? Back to the, the conversation we had earlier. I suppose I don't know the answer to that question. I think we just we could be doing more as a sector uh, and the regulator probably needs to uh, engage more. Certainly here, where we are in the moment in the UK, there's a, there's a certain disconnect. Um, so it, all of that, various parts of it pulling together is probably the only the only answer to that. And, and if, if we go even beyond our industry, today we, we witness in UK... Uh, and all over Europe, another industry that is the, the video gaming industry yeah. is starting to show signs uh, also of uh, complications in the, because they are targeting underage players. Yeah. So they are also starting to step on the borders of some things that can be considered as gambling activities. Should they self-regulate? Would we have, I think, any recommendations for them to n not repeat the mistakes that our industry maybe have made? Is industry veri uh, identity verification maybe a key to this self-regulation? Uh, I, th I, uh, I think identity verification is not necessarily the key to this. I think um, 
uh, again, I think this industry is a lot further, or it's even a, a commercially lot bigger than, than than an example the gambling market because mm. there's many consoles, there's many different publishers of games, there's really big houses. I mean, let's uh, you know, obviously, you know, let's take the example of the famous football game, right? So, you know, people go there to essentially buy um, a certain packs to get players, which and they are very expensive. So. Um, and it's a great point, right? So uh, how how do we um, kind of uh, you know make it or or protect people, um, you know, from this kind of aspect? And where can we learn? Because I don't think self-regulation will work because I think the industry is just too big, like like monetary wise. I think um, I think uh, you know because they've uh, because they've been doing this since two thousand ten. So. And you can buy certain, you know, points where you can, uh, you know, buy the packs with, and they're like around eighty to hundred pounds. So, uh, and you see in the newspapers, you know, example like thirteen-year-olds, uh, you know, Matthew from, uh, um, um, I don't know, uh, you know, from Birmingham has bought, uh, uh, you know, packs worth of three thousand eight hundred pounds on his mother's, you know, credit card. So, and I think you're back to. I mean, look, we've both got boys who are 10 and girls who are 8 and we've got children and it's one of the biggest fears we've got yeah? but again back to the perception gambling's perceived as a bad thing video gaming well, you know it's not quite as harmless it gets 40,000 people turn up at stadium to watch a couple of people play FIFA it, it, I think they should be wary and look ahead as we didn't probably in our sector at what happened in other ones and recognise that they should be doing things but history might tell you they won't and then they'll get hit with regulation um, so, uh, as a parent, you're looking at that in industry going, whether it be I don't know, loot boxes, it, it's what all the things that the kids could get addicted to on there are replicated from what we see in our sector as well. So, I think they're going to have the same challenges, but they're probably going to do what we did and let ourselves go down the line before regulation sort of drags them back a bit. So, uh, I've got um, two questions left before we um, before we wrap it up. The first one is, um, so. Where do you think you know technology should go right now? Do you think um, um, you know? Do you think you know technology providers should work you know closer with operators um, to make it um, again more efficient, more affordable? And going back to the, uh, you know, to the German things here, more efficient. Um, but um, um, you know, how do you think you know? Or, or, or what part does the uh, do the you know technology provider essentially play this uh, you know in this uh, in this whole business? Well, I think they're clearly a very important part and a big sort of central part of the sector. Because if you're an operator, you know, I think if we go back a few years, operators were telling you they were great with their data when clearly they weren't or they weren't using it uh, effectively. And they can't be expected to provide anything. I guess the problem if you're in a, an operator or somebody consuming those services, you don't know what's good or not. Yeah. And each one of, uh, and I was in that industry as well, so each one of those will be saying, you know, we're the best, uh, we're, we're better than somebody else, we can give you more. And there's the challenges. If we accept that no, there's no one single source that will do that, then how do those get together? And I think as difficult as that is, they need to be joining up, but getting different commercial entities to do that is going to be particularly difficult. So what is that? Who is that? We're all going to sit there and go right. If we've got that so technology, back to the political games. Yeah, essentially. well, you're going to be. You know, I've got that better technology than they have, and you know what? It might be, but it's not going to solve the problem. That's really difficult. I don't see how you square that circle. But it's also a political game of power on the on the business arena because the technology provider and even uh, more specifically the platform providers uh, in the industry that I'm very familiar with um, play a role. 
in aggregating, in connecting, in processing, not necessarily controlling the data coming from the operators and the content providers or the technology providers. And today we are seeing basically the evolution and potentially even the disruption of this model by new actors coming in, being the new, the, the big uh, uh, Silicon Valley uh, e-commerce actors uh, that are present with their marketplace, with their unique of, uh, way to offer the content to their uh, consumers, to the players, through the marketplace, with the unique identifier coming from uh, Apple is showing a lot of signs of unique identifier that they are going to uh, to apply uh, for those uh, social connections or things like that. And especially now also opening the NFC to essentially read passports. And exactly, exactly, so, exactly. Yeah. And and this is where uh, we we need to understand if our debate now is even coming too late because some other companies and, and organizations that are yet outside of the gambling industry have decided to implement a different business model, a different distribution model, a different relationship between the consumer, the platform provider, the technology provider, which disrupts completely the role and the responsibilities of each and every one. So maybe this discussion around is regulation fit for purpose? Is the innovation uh, going to secure and improve the, the consumer experience? Is the industry able to self-regulate and uh, uh, work together? Might be uh, obsolete in, in a very short time because a total different business model where the content provider becomes the B2C operator basically because he's uh, working and connecting his product to his consumers through the intermediation of the marketplace, which will completely replace the operator or not, depending on what propelling proposition it has to do in the in, in it has to bring in the market. Maybe this discussion is obsolete. Do you know what? <laughs> That'd be great for this podcast. <laughs> Very short lifespan. Do you know what? I think we should sell this podcast because there's so many great business <laughs> ideas. Uh, I, I, I think we could uh, you know, end up as absolute tycoons. But uh, look, listen, gentlemen, my last question is, um, would you come back for a second part? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, that was uh, I mean, look, I thoroughly enjoyed, you know, talking about, um, I mean, all things that we talked about, you know, we touched on regulation, touched on innovation, we touched on, uh, you know, self-exclusion, many different things. Um, and I think we could, uh, you know, today, just today, talk probably until 6 p.m. Um, but um, well, it's been interesting. I think it was everything sort of come back to regulation at one point. So I think the next one we can make sure we veer to that. And I think, don't get me wrong, I think it's really, uh, it, it's probably the central tenet of the sector. Uh, but there's loads to talk about. There's so much more that we've had, had experience in. Uh, and clearly, we like the sound of our own voices. So I've, re I've really enjoyed it. It's been great. <laughs> Yeah, I enjoyed it also a lot. And uh, I think we have definitely a lot to bring more and to see, uh, even to comment on the evolution of those uh, questions, because the, the the industry is evolving so fast. I think we can definitely bring in the US in the next uh, episode as well, because 
G to E. I think we're all out there. The show is very tasty. A lot of trends and interesting information. No, so that's absolutely very tasty. And I mean, I think I mean I can agree to that. So I mean, obviously. Uh, you know, Sigma being the next big, uh, you know, gambling event. I mean, um, all of us will be will be attending. Um, I assume. Um, so um, and obviously, you know, ID now has a stand there as well. So you know, if you want to, if you want to catch up with, uh, you know, with us, talk all things. Um, you know, regulation, gambling, uh, whatever you like to talk. You know, uh, you know, please come and see us. Um, Let's get uh, a few f- few friends along. Let's yeah, get a few yeah, it'd, it'd be great. It'd be yeah, great indeed. Yeah, things, and so. uh, and obviously, you know, maybe work towards uh, having a podcast in Malta as well. So uh, you know, maybe have a uh, you know bigger group. And obviously, you know, would be great. I mean, for obviously, you know, our interest as well to maybe have um, someone from a regulator here, um, uh, 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 which could be quite uh, you know, it, which could it, be it quite. It would be uh, interesting to uh, see uh, what be, they say. Uh, 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 indeed. Uh, but let's not start with is regulation <laughs> fit for purpose. You yes, might want to start with something else. No, no, no. We might be able. No, no, it might be friendly but look listen um as i said you know thoroughly enjoyed it today um it's been great having you and um we'll see you next time thanks very much thank you very much roger yeah thank you very much for listening um you know thoroughly enjoyed it today um you can catch me on um at roger id now on twitter or just um roger tizik i know the last name is very complicated but on linkedin um just send me a message get in touch and please subscribe to the podcast we hope that you have um, thoroughly enjoyed it as we have and see you next time